Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 142. I'm delighted to have you with me once again. Thank you so much for doing all of that awesome podcast stuff. Uh, So for downloading this episode, for subscribing, hopefully you are subscribed, please subscribe. And um, for those of you that have shared or uh, reviewed episodes recently, thank you so much for doing that. It really does help the podcast grow and people's stories to be shared more widely which is essentially probably 90% of what the episodes here are about. So thank you so much for doing that. This week I am joined by another new guest. Um, But before I introduce her, I just want to mention um, something that happened a couple of days ago. So uh, over the last weekend, I was fortunate enough to attend a friend's wedding. Uh, It was an absolutely amazing day. Uh, But as part of that day, I got to finally meet Amir, uh, who some of you may remember from episode 70, so a while back now, uh, Amir came on and spoke about um, his own experience with mental health, but we also started to find out about his love and his passion for wrestling as well, and some of you will know that Amir hosts his own podcast, uh, and the wrestling-focused podcast really has kind of just grown and grown and I see that the guys are doing so much with not just their podcast but also with um, social media particularly their Facebook their Facebook uh, group seems to be going very very strong at the moment so you must go and check those guys out so they're at Wrestleplug podcast um, and I think you can find them at Wrestleplug uh, and you can find out information about Amir who hosts the podcast but he is also now in wrestling training and performing at live events so go and show me some love as well um yes it was amazing to finally meet someone that's come on and shared their story and i've spoken to amir a couple of times so that was absolutely great uh and i am hoping that in the future there are going to be a couple more occasions when i am going to meet a few more of you guys as well that have come on and shared your stories or those of you that have interacted with the podcast uh later this year in a couple of months in fact not far away uh i'll be hosting the mental health blog awards so i know that there are a few of you that are coming along that i've never met before so i'm really really looking forward to that um and hopefully a lot of you are going to be able to attend uh for information or for more information about the mental health blog awards you can find that out at the website um so that's the best place to go but there's also some information on the social media pages as well so just go to mokesopenjournal.com forward slash mh blog awards 
But for this episode, for episode 142, uh, I finally got to sit down with Hope and we got to talk about Hope's experiences, her thoughts, passions, some of the campaigns that she's been involved with and to be honest, I feel like there's probably a lot of stuff that we haven't covered at all. Um, Hope is one of those campaigners that is involved in such a huge amount of work, uh, of varying projects, um, and it's amazing, again, to have that opportunity to have another new guest come on and, and share part of their story and why they are now doing some of the things that they are doing and and also hearing some of the impact that those projects and campaigns are having is amazing um through this episode we do talk about a couple of different things um but one of those is the dump the scales campaign um and i would highly recommend that you go away and check out that campaign and that petition if you haven't seen it already um and i'll also make sure that there's a link in the description as well so you guys can find out more about that so that's what's coming up um but as always if you would like to get involved in the podcast in the future if you'd like to come on and share your own story um or you've just got a particular question or would like more information about a previous guest please do get in contact over at mikesopenjournal.com uh, and you can find a range of different ways to to contact me there but thank you so much for listening and being part of the podcast and i hope you enjoy this episode which i'm going to drop you straight into now how's your day or how's your week been really um, today's been good and quite productive. I had a talk this morning at a corporate. Um, oh, amazing. And then after that, had uh, a meeting with an MP and then just came home and trying to clear my emails and stuff like that, really, which was good. <laughs> it's, uh, it started really interesting and really cool and then gradually yeah, dropped then down when you mentioned the emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I see that you have um, been involved with a few different um, campaigns and talks and projects and is that kind of more part of your day-to-day life now I guess yeah no it is um so I work full-time doing mental health campaigning so working in schools corporates hospitals and then also working with the government mm. and kind of looking at eating disorder diagnosis but also looking kind of more broadly at mental health and trying to get other people to open up about mental health and to kind of get those conversations going and continue to help normalise them across the country. Um, I do really love what I do, actually. I'm quite lucky that I found something that I enjoy so much. Um, and I think that me- that probably helps me to keep that kind of passion and motivation going for it. I think it means so much when you hear people talk about things, whatever their job is, that you hear them talk in such a positive way about it um and I just I remember being younger and hearing people talk about jobs as if they were like this thing that you have to do to get money and more and more now I'm kind of coming across people that are talking so positively about their experience and they're like actually I really enjoy this and I've um like I've taken a pay drop or I've moved to a new area or I've done this thing that's really challenging because this is the job that I really want to do and it's really nice it still feels strange, but it is really nice just to hear people talk positively about actually what they do for a job. Yeah, it's so much. I used to work in recruitment and absolutely hated it. Mm. And I'd get home every evening and like cry. And then from like Sunday morning, I'd be dreading starting the working week again. Mm. And I think after I did that for a year, I was like, I can't spend the rest of my life being in jobs that I don't like. So it's always been quite important for me to try and find something that I really want to do. And particularly because you spend so much of your life at work, you've got to be able to enjoy it. Mm. You do. And I guess kind of from there, it'd be really interesting for for us to hear a little bit more about you, Hope, and kind of where your, your story or your adventure began. And we've got an idea that you're very busy at the moment, but I'm sure it didn't start out that way. No, um, it definitely didn't. Um, <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I guess like in the short, kind of looking less far back. So I've been working for myself for about two years now, two mm. and a half years, doing all mental health campaigning. Um, but when I first started, I basically quit my job in November and started working for myself in the January and didn't have anything lined up whatsoever. So kind of woke up on the first, second of January And everyone else went back to work. And I was a bit like, oh, God, what do I do now? Like, what's the plan? Mm. Um, And spent, like, the first couple of months only speaking in probably one or two places a month. 
okay. and had so much free time it was ridiculous um and then over kind of the next year or so things gradually began to pick up and I think part of that I think is I work I do work very hard but also just kind of going into some schools and then getting referred to other places um but before I started doing this I worked in public affairs okay and had kind of like day-to-day jobs for charities or other organizations um and I did really enjoy it but I am I've kind of struggled with my mental health for probably since I was about 12 years old and I'm happy to go into more details about it but I think the reason I wanted to start doing the mental health campaigning was because after I relapsed and kind of came through my relapse I realized that there are loads of other people out there who are really struggling with their mental health but also people who feel so embarrassed and so ashamed about it mm-hmm. and people who don't really think anyone fully understands what they're going through um, and then from like an eating disorder perspective as well there was this whole lack of understanding that to have an eating disorder you have to be stick thin and I wanted to try and get rid of all of those kind of myths and misunderstandings around eating disorders whilst trying to get people to understand what recovery is like and realizing that it is really hard work but you can recover at some point and recovery means different things to different people but the more you push yourself to get to that point actually the better things will be and after I realized that I wanted to talk about it I think I just kind of went all out to try and make this happen um Mm. and I've been I guess I've been lucky in one sense that I've been able to do it um and been able to use my story now to try and help other people who are going through similar things but also to just get more conversations going around mental health I think it's really interesting to see that side of um when you speak about the kind of the charity side the schools workplaces and actually the the different I guess skills that that would require and the different experiences that that draw on um do you think having had those experiences now have actually actually mean that when you go into a workplace you're more informed because you've also been into a school and when you go into a school you're more informed because you've also been into a workplace and there's that kind of I guess uh like really well-rounded experience of talking to different people and being aware of different thoughts that people might have yeah no definitely and I think particularly when you're going when you go into schools and you spend time with young people and then you go into a workplace and you can talk to kind of parents and carers about this is the kind of stuff that young people face today mm. and it helps to make them take it much more seriously and realize that it's a problem that will is likely to affect their children as well or people they're caring for so I think it helps to bring it to life much more I talk a lot about actually dieting um mm. not in the sense of encouraging dieting but getting people to think about those kind of conversations that can have an impact on those around them. And I've realised from the work that I do in schools that actually quite often young people pick up on their parents' diet chat or on their parents kind of speaking quite negatively about themselves. Mm -hmm. And by sharing that with corporates and adults, it actually means that they're more likely to take it serious, realising that actually this could have an impact on their children. I think that's a really interesting side. In my head, I'm thinking of that um, we live in worlds that can really easily become quite isolated or um, focused on a particular area. So if you say when you go into a school and you give a talk there, but they think of it, oh, only ex- this talk only exists and is relevant for when I'm at school and equally for the workplace. Oh, someone's come in and spoken to me while I'm at work, so it's only relevant for me between nine and five. When actually, because you're able to include those other areas, those other parts of our lives and of society, actually it does open that door to them thinking oh but when I go home and I'm with my parents or my children actually this is still important these are still conversations we need to have or we need to think about how we're having as well yeah and I think that is part of what it is isn't it it's about trying to normalize all of those conversations so that people with mental health problems feel able to talk about it in whatever setting they're in Mm. and I always say it's like when we have a physical health problem like if we broke our leg or had a headache we'd feel okay to go home in the evening and talk to someone in our family about it or talk about it at school. But actually, if we're having like a bad brain day, we Mm. don't feel able to have that honest conversation quite often. Mm. So again, it's about making people see that actually, if we start committing to talk about this to each other, then it's going to have this massively long-term positive impact. And do you think as, as someone that is campaigning, that is speaking, that's going out there, do you think that's something that we're starting to do more or, or it's starting to change or we're talking about a particular part of mental health? So I think it's definitely getting better. 
Um, I think people are talking about it much more, but I think there is still something that's holding people back. And I think from the work I do with corporates, it's ridiculous how kind of, I guess, guess withdrawn corporates are actually mm. in sharing their own personal experiences, because I think there is still a fear that if you open up or you show that vulnerability, then you might lose your job or you might get the promotion that you wanted. Mm. So I think in that sense, it's still there still needs to be a lot done. I also think quite often we talk about like the more well-known mental health problems. So like anorexia, depression, anxiety, um, but we don't talk about kind of things like psychosis or schizophrenia quite as much because people don't fully understand those illnesses or those illnesses that maybe people are more embarrassed about or there's more stigma to. So, again, yeah. I think we've still got a way to go in trying to get people to understand that aspect of things. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that you kind of pick that the personal story side up because I, I, I feel that there are a lot more conversations about mental health happening a lot more people are engaging in in uh, talking about experiences of kind of their well-being as well as potential illnesses or symptoms. But it is very much about kind of a general conversation or something I struggled with in the past. Yeah. And it's not very often that you sort of hear people, particularly in the workplace, talk about a current struggle or current issue. Um, and I wonder if kind of while that, those conversations are growing actually we're still kind of stigmatizing in that way that oh it's fine to talk about it once you're better mm. but all the time you are ill you can't talk about it I, it's it's a funny one I'm not sure quite where that sits no and I do completely actually interestingly I spoke um, at the cabinet office on Friday mm. and we had this exact conversation that senior leadership and kind of directors and whatnot always talk about mental health when they've come through the other side mm. but you never have stories of people there and then struggling saying I can't get up today I can't come into work today mm. and I think that's the problem is people think that once you've come through something you're much stronger for it mm. but quite often we don't realize that actually people who are battling with it every day are actually really strong people too so I think again yeah. it's like what you said kind of changing the narrative around that much more to try mm. and make it feel more okay to talk about it whatever the situation do you think kind of the educational side as well of um i've wondered whether uh we just sometimes don't have the right like, language or we don't have the right knowledge to to have conversations like we um i think i've mentioned to a couple of people before about this idea that we have over time we've learned how to talk to a, a doctor or a nurse or a gp we've learned to sort of explain where something hurts and how it hurts um, but that's kind of learn language and learn interaction but because we don't have those conversations we haven't had those conversations around mental health we don't have that understanding of how to say this is something I'm struggling with or this is something that's going really well um, and I think that kind of impedes some of those conversations as well because we just don't have the the language skills I guess or the confidence around some of those um, interactions to sort of follow that forward and I think often when we're talking about struggles we're often talking about serious illnesses because people have been left to get to a crisis point yeah um, I don't know if you feel that is that starting to change is the not necessarily the language but are people kind of learning how to have conversations or is it more of a uh, kind of permission and stigma side I think people probably are learning to have more conversations, but I wonder whether for a lot of people there is, they're still waiting mm. to be allowed to do that or allowed to talk about it. Um, and if they see someone else talking about it, maybe they're more likely to do it. Um, or if their manager opened up about it, they'd have permission to then talk about it. Mm. But I do think, yeah, I think quite often the interesting thing is, and I'm sure you've found this as well potentially, is that once you have one person sharing a story within a group of friends, actually that ripple effect and knock-on effect is just amazing. Yes. So in one sense, actually, by someone having the confidence to share and then th that allowing everyone else to share, that's an amazing positive in itself. We just need to get more people to make that initial step, mm. which will then allow others to start opening up. Mm, definitely. And it is that side, like you say, there's still that... There is still that element of permission, isn't there? So you, it, we wait for some sort of go-ahead... Um, on certain things I think that um, I guess it's good the conversa it's good the conversations are happening and it's just something I, I think you can gradually notice and start to open up and um, 
give people opportunities because they still need them to actually, I'm here, I'm happy to listen, I've had this experience, which maybe is different to yours, but I'm, I'm yeah. happy to talk and listen. And I think there is a big side to to that permission. And I imagine that probably leads to a lot of the time when you do go into particular environments, whether that's schools, workplaces, wherever, that when you go and you share your own personal experience, that afterwards the questions are maybe more, I don't know, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, the questions are more personal in nature in terms of, oh, I've experienced this, what do you think? As opposed to maybe when you give like a general talk um, where people maybe are less revealing about their own situation. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. I think once you share, yeah, once you kind of share everything, mm. then people don't feel like you're going to be as judgmental. Yeah. And I think as well, like you kind of earn the trust of that individual too. Mm. And so that you can then, they know that you're not going to judge them and they can trust you with something. Mm. But I think also you get a bit of, maybe potentially like a bit of respect and people think that you will have the knowledge to support what they're going through yeah. because you've been through something as well. Yeah. Well, just getting that actually this is a real struggle but I also don't really know what's going on yeah and I can tell someone else and they won't expect me to know what's going on as well because they've kind of been there even if their situation was different no I completely agree with that it's nice to kind of when people share different tips and advice don't they Mm. from going through similar but not similar things yeah um and I think it's that side of of story sharing that um really educates people as well like when I think of the people that have come on to the podcast before and talked about um, OCD about schizophrenia about their own situations with with different illnesses and I'm like I would never know or never have the opportunity to have the insight if I didn't have these conversations and to actually sit back and be able to listen and hear someone's experience and go okay I know that it won't be the same for everyone but it's educational just to get that insight and yeah. better understand something. I think, actually, I'm not doing anything that somebody else couldn't do. Um, and it's that side of kind of encouraging people to say, yeah, you can you can listen, you can host that conversation and give support to someone without having a load of knowledge or education yeah. or experience. Um, it's something that anyone can do. No, definitely. Uh, on the side of story sharing um it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about your experience of whatever you're happy to share and kind of where your journey um began really yeah no that's fine so I developed anorexia when I was around 12 13 years old um I really struggled throughout kind of most of my childhood to deal with any emotions Mm. um had bits of therapy from the age of nine but none of it really worked. None of it really stuck with me. And I think part of that was I was very young and didn't really understand why it was an issue that I didn't express my emotions in a healthy way. Mm. Um, when I was 12, um, my family life got quite dysfunctional and I tried to fix various situations but wasn't able to. And I also just hated, like I said, feeling distressing emotions. And for me, the anorexia became a bit of an outlet for this. It helped me to removed myself from that sense of reality as well as giving me this value and purpose so I like telling me exactly what I needed to do throughout the day giving me this guidance and it also meant that I could lie in bed in the evenings and if my parents were arguing downstairs and I started to get upset about it I could immediately start to think about food and calories and exercise and again just taking me away from everything that was really going on in life And I loved that. And I also loved the sense of achievement that I got out of being anorexic. So kind of losing bits of weight, um, kind of cutting my food groups out, exercising much more. And I loved it that every time I did that really well, I got kind of like this praise in my head from Mm. the anorexia telling me that what I was doing was the right thing to do and that I had to keep pushing further forward with it. I didn't realise at the time how dangerous it was. Um, And I also don't think I fully understood what the matter with me was or really accepted that something was the matter with me. And I ended up when I was 17 after kind of six months as an outpatient at CAMS, um, Mm. really struggling a lot. And actually it was that six months of my life where I realised how unhappy I was, but also just felt totally trapped in everything I was doing. So that voice in my head just dictating everything 
and made me feel so upset about the whole thing and made me feel completely isolated from everyone around me that I ended up getting admitted to a mental health hospital when I then spent the next year trying to recover, so learning about food, learning about exercise and learning to talk about how I felt. And I think for me, obviously, like I had no choice about going into hospital and I was still in this denial phase when I got into the hospital, thought everyone was just trying to make me fat and no one fully understood what I was going through. But actually for me, I needed to, to hit that rock bottom to actually realise that everything the anorexia was giving me was absolutely nothing and that there was so much more to life than everything that was going on. And I had to really start to focus on the future and focus on all of that stuff that I wanted out of life. It's it's that experience, isn't it? And that side of being able to, um, I guess, look back and see the balance of um what was going on for you and be able to talk about it in a way that actually is very real I think is so important and so um interesting to hear because I think often we're left with people that are unable to talk about their experience or unable to look back and I think being able to see this is what I struggled with and this is where it led me and actually at the time I felt like I was making the right decisions and it felt like it was right um and we would hope that by encouraging more conversations to happen now that people would be um aware of the different support and engage with people and um hopefully make more opportunities for people moving forward um but it's really interesting to hear you kind of had experience of of accessing that type of support of accessing therapy of accessing cams and and different support there did you feel at the time that that was uh, useful to you or it worked or it didn't work or um, what that particular experience was like? So actually, so I was quite lucky because I got referred to CAMS and got an appointment a couple of weeks later um, and then had kind of a regular meeting at CAMS every Tuesday afternoon okay. and then got admitted to hospital quite quickly. I think the difference is was so I'm 29 now and I think back when I was diagnosed I was 16 17 Mm -hmm. and there was probably just as many people maybe not just as many but there were still a lot of people struggling with their mental health but I think there were less people diagnosed and Mm. there were less people who were accessing that kind of full-on support because there was still stigma around it people didn't understand it as much um and people didn't accept mental illness back then quite so much as they do now so I think actually in that sense I did get to access that support really quickly. The time that I didn't get to access support was a couple of years ago when I relapsed Mm. and I struggled for a couple of months and then ended up referring myself to the eating disorder service in Southwest London. And that was when I wasn't underweight enough. So actually they couldn't offer me any kind of treatment, any kind of support or anything. And after I kind of came through my relapse and did a lot of research into this, I realised that actually now the problem is is that people with eating disorders aren't getting that proper support they need. They are constantly turned away from services. Mm. And I think it's the case, as we both know, across the whole of the NHS with all mental health services is, again, we're waiting for that crisis point. Mm. But I think when I was younger, for some reason, people people weren't getting diagnosed. So then there wasn't as much of a wait so that we could then access that support much quicker. Mm. And again, we, we need that because mm. actually if you live with something for a very long time, it's much harder to actually break out of that and then your recovery time is much longer anyway. Yeah, that's, that is, it's, that's really interesting to see the comparison, like you say, because you would think from the outside, you go, oh, okay, you're, you're older, you're more experienced, you're more aware of the services and yet there's much a longer wait for them. And that can only be because there are more people accessing the service. Like you, I, I don't think we have had a sudden increase in the last five or ten years in people that are affected by um, mental health illnesses, but more people are prepared to, to come forward, which is great. But now the service needs to increase to kind of reflect that. Yeah. Um, and I guess... Uh, that side of actually seeing you maybe felt like actually the service is there but it's being cut back and they're making certain requirements that you have to fit into to access this because they're trying to limit the people that are coming forward 
Yeah, and I think they are. And mm. I think that is what's frustrating because it's like actually all of these people deserve to get support. Yeah. So why can't we offer them what they need? And it's it's interesting because, um, like you, I've used services before, and I now know that there are certain tools, certain um, things that I can find online, and actually they will be useful for me in term in a supportive way. But they're only useful because I've already received some sort of service and I know how to use those um, or I can read through and understand what I need to do to, to use those tools or those sheets or whatever. And it's looking at, um, actually, that's all really useful. It's great to signpost people to that. But if they've not had any support yet, yeah, they're not going to know how to use those and then they're suddenly not as useful. And it's that side of making sure that Actually, maybe you, as the campaigner, as the person coming in to talk, suddenly become that first bit. Um, and it's it's great, but it's also a little bit worrying, isn't it? That it's kind of left to people that are just passionate about mental health to... Yeah, to make that... To get that started. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and kind of linked into that, I don't know, we've sort of spoken about your, your story and your experiences and how you started to get into the campaigning, but you've also done a few other bits and pieces as well. I know you're part of a, a huge running challenge um, and you're an author as well, so I don't quite know how those have all fitted into your story. Uh, it's Me very... neither. <laughs> I'm like, whoosh! <laughs> um, but uh, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about some of the other things, amazing things, um, that you've also done as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I wrote my book... Um, kind of uh, probably, yeah, it came out two and two years ago, two and a half years ago, I think now. Um, so I wrote that after I came through my relapse and I'd always wanted to write a book about my recovery and my experience, but was never really sure how to go about doing it. Um, so decided that I wanted to commit to doing this. And that was actually where I started to be more open about things. Mm. So I wrote a book kind of sharing pretty much everything about me, my illness, my recovery, my mum writes a bit of the book as well, so trying to kind of offer that parental perspective as well. And after that came out, it was absolutely terrifying at times. I think mm. I worked full time um, for an organisation at that point and having people in the organisation suddenly be aware that actually I'd had this thing the matter with me, I still struggled with it. Yeah. Um, and you got a lot of kind of strange questions asking you about it and a lot of people kind of quizzing you on it, I think mainly because people didn't fully understand it. Um, but after that, I then started doing the speaking stuff off the back of it and trying mm. to take kind of, I guess, my story one step further in that. Um, but I think for me, like the writing became very therapeutic. Um, it gave me a chance to reflect on what happened, but also to remind myself that I never want to go back to that place again, however tough life feels like it's getting. Actually, I never want to be that unwell again in hospital or that unwell that I can't really live my life and enjoy it. Mm. And from my mum's point of view, I think actually for both of us, writing bits of it together also was a bit, it sounds a bit silly and a bit naff, but it was a bit kind of like healing for both of us. Yeah, no, I, I sound like some kind of like holistic person and I'm not like that at all. I mean, but like, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> But I can understand, I can, yeah, I can understand that. And actually that the kind of writing alongside someone being really useful and then particularly it being someone that's a family member that's supportive, actually I can totally see how that would have um, such a huge kind of positive impact on you and be a really positive experience. Um, yeah, just, yeah, that would have been for me. But <laughs> I can see, yeah, I can imagine that. And I think it's probably a very different experience as well because I often think of um kind of writing or people kind of journaling and sharing their experience in whatever way as kind of a an, an isolated sort of thing like they're I don't know where I imagine them sat writing but I generally imagine them sat like typing away on their phone a laptop or writing into a book and um, yeah. actually having that experience with another person I imagine being quite a different experience to maybe the times when you've sat down on your own and written. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's what I liked about it potentially mm. was, yeah, having kind of more open dialogue about it. Um, and I think as well, like just since my book came out, like I have written a lot more. Um, 
And I definitely use writing now as a way to help me process how I'm feeling. And if I go and work in a hospital for a day and I find it particularly challenging, I might write a little bit around kind of how that whole experience went and how I found that. Mm. So I think in that sense, it definitely is one of my kind of recovery coping mechanisms. Yeah, it's quite, uh, um, I've always kind of described it as a, for me, the writing side is very much a way to kind of process and get out some of those uh, thoughts or feelings or emotions that I'm just struggling to process and something about me doesn't allow me to do that. But actually writing it down and seeing it come out is just works. And I think it's about trying different things, isn't it? And I've spoken to people recently that have talked about kind of um, colouring and knitting and a range of different things that are something that has some sort of process that you're doing with your hands and actually that being hugely um, cathartic and helping with that process of um, that process of processing uh, <laughs> things that are in your mind as well um, so I guess there's kind of that side yeah no that makes sense um, speaking of processing uh, this is my attempt at a segue um, <laughs> <laughs> the running um, I I used to be a runner. I'm, I'm trying to get back into it. Um, but seeing the the challenge that you're involved with, I think, was this last year? Um, was really interesting. And seeing the different stuff that has um, come up with a few different people getting involved with different physical activities and campaigning and talking about different things is, is really positive. Um, and I don't know what your experience was like what was behind kind of getting involved with some of the different challenges that you've done as well yeah no definitely um so I started running when I was kind of in junior school Mm. and it became a massive part of my life actually um I became quite good at it and really enjoyed it but then when I got unwell the exercise became kind of a massive part of my illness Mm. and it was something that I became obsessed with and something that I had to do pretty much every single day at a certain amount of times or I feel really guilty about it when I went into hospital I wasn't allowed to exercise for the first 10 months mm. and then for the last two months I was in hospital I was allowed to go out for a couple of runs a week with one of the nurses and mm. they were kind of short 20 minute runs mm. but for me it gave me the confidence to be able to exercise on my own when I left the hospital but also reminded me that you can exercise for the right reasons and it gives you the right headspace and it's good for your kind of whole mental well-being in itself. And you don't have to do exercise to punish yourself, which again was something I had to really, really learn, like how much exercise I should be doing and what I get out of it and whether I'm doing it for the right reasons. And kind of since I came out of hospital, I still use exercise and kind of any physical activity as a way to help manage my recovery and For me, that's why it was crucial to kind of keep doing various running challenges. I've done some cycling challenges as well as a way to try and keep myself on track with my recovery. But also because I think quite often people with eating disorders are like absolutely terrified to ever work out again because they're scared about getting obsessed with it. Or some people do start working out again and they do become obsessed with it again. or they don't understand how to listen to their body in the right way. And so... One of the reasons that I wanted to do challenges and stuff, obviously it's something that I love doing in itself um, Mm. and it's such an achievement. But for me, it's also about actually showing other people that you can exercise in a really positive way and also to get people to understand around fueling your body in the right way and making sure, like I said, you're doing it for the right reasons and not doing it because you're obsessed with it. Did it, oh yeah, I wonder whether it felt like... um like an exposure to kind of start off with it's that sort of element of testing yourself and making sure that you say you can do it safely I suppose yeah and I think at first it was it was definitely like that um and I think that's why for me doing it in the safe place of being in a hospital Mm. was really helpful Mm. because you can ask like questions like ridiculous questions that everyone should know the answer to but if you've had an eating disorder you just don't and it's Mm. things like what you should eat after you've been for a 20 minute run and do I need to have an extra snack tonight because I've been for that run Mm. and kind of learning to re-listen to your body again was crucial I think and being able to like you say actually have that conversation and ask someone and be able to seek out that bit of support um, I think is really important and hopefully something that over time will encourage people to talk a, 
a bit more about that and actually oh this is this is what I do or um, this is what I found useful what supported me and um, be able to have those conversations rather than be left um, to figure it out on their own as well yeah no definitely and I think it is you have to have the confidence to ask things like that don't you and know that it's okay definitely. again to ask them yeah and it's it's creating that space and like you say you've it sounds like you've got that kind of support around you you've had experience of using services you've got family um and it's encouraging people to have those conversations build up that support network and and work out what's there because like you say actually something that was maybe not a positive experience before in the in the running or exercise actually is something that you love and that you enjoy doing and it's really positive to hear that you've been able to incorporate that in your life still and it's just making sure that it's safe while you're doing it rather than go I'm never going to do that again yeah no definitely and I think that is what people need to realize is that you can exercise even though you've had an eating disorder and it can be done in a positive way so it is about equipping people to deal with that Mm, definitely um and then with the kind of the eating disorder side I think we've touched on it a couple of times but I know there's another campaign that you're really heavily involved with um, and very busy with um, what seems like quite a constant basis at the moment, um, and that's the Dump the Scales campaign. Yeah, no, it is, um, and it's an exciting campaign, although I think slightly frustrating at times. Mm. Um, so I launched it back in July, so about eight eight months ago now, six, seven months ago, yeah, back in July last year, and um, I launched it uh, because I got turned away from services for not being thin enough. Yeah. And I realized when I started talking openly about this experience that actually this is something that happens to so many people every single day across the country. And it's just not right that actually if you've got an eating disorder, you can only access support and treatment when you are really underweight. And I think, again, that's that whole issue with eating disorders around the fact that people view them as a physical illness and not a mm-hmm. mental illness. So I'm working with the government at the moment to try and change this. So to look at getting the NICE guidelines enforced properly across the whole country, also do something around communication, and then also to look at GP training so that GPs have a better understanding of eating disorders, but also so that they know what to say to people when they come in with a worry about food and so that they don't say things that might have that kind of negative impact on an individual. That is... I I kind of love that side of the campaign in that um, it seems very aspirational um, and it, it's like there's a there's an imperfection in the service or the way it's delivered and let's try and correct that let's try and improve access um, to services for people um, in a very kind of yeah it doesn't feel like it's negative or critical of stuff that's happening at the moment it's just like we can do this better. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm not, I think that's the thing, like, I'm not trying to criticise the NHS and what they do, because Mm. what they do do is amazing. Um, But it's just, they could do this thing just a little bit better. And then it would help so many other people. I think um, it's really interesting, that side of the the GPs as well. I've had um, a number of people that have come on and spoken about um, negative experience with GPs. Um, And it's always that sort of side of... um, I think there's a huge, uh, diverse range of experience, knowledge and passion and interest in mental health amongst GPs. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of getting to that stage where um, I know I've heard people talk about um, you can go in and ask for like a mental health specialist. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's great. Um, but I'm still not sure whether I think they should all be specialists. Um, and it's that side of actually... Um, we're starting those conversations, we're, we're encouraging the, the practices, the services to be better, um, to be more accessible, um, but it's also having that balance, and like you say, actually it's great, the services are good, but they can be better, we can improve the access, we can improve the conversations and the experiences that people are having, um, and I always think of the people that um, come in once, like they will go in and they'll see a a GP or they'll talk to a nurse at school or they'll talk to, I don't know, the first aider at work and they'll have that one interaction and that's it. It's a negative interaction for whatever reason yeah. and then they never talk to anyone again and I think it's it's trying to guard against that and it is really difficult because a lot of the time we don't, we have people that don't know what to say that are unsure or not confident 
um, but it's it's trying to manage that as best as possible. Um, and I guess that's kind of part of the campaign is actually making sure that first interaction is a positive one. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that is a massive part of this in itself is that actually we need to make sure that when someone does go in immediately for that support, that GPs know what to say to individuals and how to say it. Mm. Because quite often people will then leave the GP and then feel really guilty for mm. even saying anything or trying to access that support. Yeah, and like uh, you said, uh, if they go in and they're like, oh, you, you um, don't weigh enough or you weigh too little or um, actually the impact of that going, oh, well, actually, I'm not that ill, or maybe I'm not struggling that much, or other people have it worse than me. Um, and it's potentially very kind of invalidating, I guess, of their experience and what they're going through. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think quite often as well with eating disorders is they're such competitive illnesses that if someone does say you're not thin enough, then mm. that whole competitive nature of the illness kicks in and you then feel the need to prove that something is really the matter. Mm. And that's when it gets scarier, isn't it? Because then you then make a point and then you end up in hospital. And what we really want to prevent is actually people ending up in hospital for a really, really long time and actually get them more community-based support and services. Yeah, and I think on that, the the competitive side, I remember there was a, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, there was a Netflix film last year, I think, that looked at... Um, someone that struggled with anorexia and they were looking at um, like the calorie counting, the exercises and some of the conversations that they were having in, in that film was very much like, oh, you don't take it seriously enough or, oh, have you tried doing this? And kind of that tip sharing side um, and being aware of the potential dangers that are involved in some of those conversations, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that is the scary part of it, isn't it? Is that kind of influence that you can get from so many people and it is just a few wrong words by a gp or by anyone actually mm. can have a really negative impact on the individual but we're moving forward and we're hoping yes. that the um, campaign is going to be successful and that uh, people are going to continue to have conversations and hopefully use all of the um positive experiences that that we can share i know moving forward obviously that the campaign continues but um what else have you got going on for the next few months or so um so focusing yeah on the campaign quite a bit so we've set up an appg on eating disorders so i'll be working quite a bit with the government around that and looking at what reports we're going to pull together from the back of that um, and then also continuing to do the work I do in schools. Hmm. So, again, trying to reach, I guess, even more young people, but also to kind of start reaching younger age groups too, so that we don't just tackle kind of sixth formers, but we tackle from kind of year four upwards for me. Mm. And um, just because we kind of haven't really spoken about that, I wonder where um, why you think that's important to go into the younger year. I mean, uh, I'm trying not to... Uh, preface it with my own views but <laughs> why you think that's important to go to younger year groups and so I think actually we need to be talking to people kids from like the age of year one two about yeah. their mental health yeah. and actually getting them to think about their feelings and their emotions and to start processing that processing that in a healthy way we get kids to do physical exercise from a very early age so we need to be building them up in the right way and I think as well kind of teaching them about not only mental health, but also various feelings so that they can start to express themselves and know that it's okay to feel certain things. And I do believe that actually the more we do that, the more we kind of equip them to deal with the future, but also we will equip them to actually manage their emotions in a much more healthy way. And quite often, actually, people who aren't able to do that, you then might end up in a more of a challenging situation. Mm. I've nearly bashed the microphone about 10 times, <laughs> nodding. <to it. laughs> yeah, don't mind. Um, yeah, to totally agree. And I think it is that side of um, encouraging people to see that when we talk about mental health, that we're not just talking about illness and we're not just talking about people in crisis point. Actually, like you say, it's, it's managing your well-being. It could be talking about being happy or being sad um, and feeling able to um, express that whether that's written or verbal or however they're communicating and um, that being an, a really important skill that we have already built up we do already talk about have you done your five a day or have you done your 20 minutes of exercise a day and 
um, all those types of things that we now include in just what we would consider our, our general well-being, our general health. Um, and actually it's encouraging people to have that sort of mindset or start having those conversations around the mental health side as well as the physical health side. So um, it's always lovely to hear other people say very, very similar <laughs> similar things. Um, but it's been lovely to hear um, hear from you and hear more about your experience and actually the journey that you've gone on hearing um odd bits before today about the different things you've done i still can't quite understand how you've managed to fit all of that in uh but it's been absolutely amazing to hear your experience and to have you on the podcast and sharing that as well so thank you so much for coming on no thank you so much for having me on it's been amazing and i look forward to seeing some of the stuff that you're continuing to do with the campaign in the future and um following that as closely as possible perfect no thank you very much awesome and if people want to find out a little bit more about you after today where can they go um so my twitter handle is just hope virgo so my name um i do a lot of uh posts on that obviously but also post a lot on instagram which is hope virgo one um and then the campaign um can be found uh on change change.org if you just searched on the scales and what i always say is please do obviously sign and share it but if you've got a story of your own that you want to share alongside the campaign or you want to find out a little bit more about how you can get involved directly with the campaign, like do feel free to kind of message me directly around that and I can talk to you a bit more about it. Um, and then my book can be found on Amazon um, and it's called Stand Tall Little Girl. So that's, like I said at the start, kind of my whole story documenting my recovery and my illness. Awesome. And hopefully... Um, people can, can follow that up and have a look and, and get involved particularly with the campaign and yes, help no, to definitely. share that as well but thank you so much for coming on and I look forward to talking to you again soon perfect Fab. thank you very much thank you bye bye These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can't appreciate it. Yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, OK, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.